Welcome to the North Prayer Church of Christ YouTube channel. When I first started giving messages for North Grove, I told Dennis that the one thing I didn't want to be assigned to teach on was marriage. And I'm not teaching on marriage today, but Exodus chapter 18, which we're investigating, does have some relations to the marriage relationship. And so I am going to talk a little bit about some of those things, but I just wanted to sort of give a disclaimer ahead of time, you know, I'm only 20. Any wisdom I have is just from the scriptures, so I'll try to stick very close to what the scriptures say. Alright, so today we are talking about Exodus chapter 18. And in this chapter, Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law, comes and he brings Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, back to meet Moses. Moses is uh, with the people of Israel on their way from Egypt to Canaan. And right before Moses had left to go free the people of Israel from Canaan, Zipporah and Moses had a marriage fight. And it was a pretty feisty one, and they separated ways. And so, while he was in Egypt, she was still in Midian with her father. And when he hears that they're coming through, and they're going to the land of Canaan, Jethro, her father, brings her to be with her husband. And while he's staying with Moses, he, he, uh, he's a priest of God, of the one true God, actually. And he watches Moses' daily work, and he gives Moses some advice, because he sees that all the people are coming to Moses, and Moses is judging uh, for them what the law of God um, is in every case. And Jethro sees that Moses is going to be worn out, because there's millions and millions of Israelites, and Moses is only one man. He can only judge so many people. So he recommends that Moses set up judges for tens, thousands, and hundreds of thousands. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at what we can learn from Jethro and his advice. So first of all, we can learn from this chapter that we should strive to have wise mentors around us. Now you can't pick your father, but to a certain extent you can pick your father-in-law. And I'm not going to go into this too much because... Sometimes, you know, maybe you get a father-in-law who's not so great, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it. But if you're young like me, and you're in the process of looking at something to consider, actually, who your father-in-law is going to be. And Jethro was an excellent father-in-law. Father he was a servant of God. He was a priest of God, actually. And he was a servant of the one true God. Which is very interesting, because Jethro, Jethro was not an Israelite. He was a Midianite. And also, he didn't try to cling on to Zipporah. He didn't try to, you know, say Moses after they got into the fight about the fight was over whether Moses' and Zipporah's children should be circumcised. And he didn't take sides and try to baby Zipporah and tell her that 
she was okay and that she should just stay with him and not go back to Memphis. Now, when, when they had a chance, he encouraged her and took her back to be with Moses. And that matches up what we see in Genesis, where it says, the two shall become one flesh. And sometimes uh, father-in-laws, they can cause family problems if they take sides uh, against the their child's spouse. He also rejoiced at Israel's blessings from God. Sometimes we, when other people are blessed, we can become jealous because the blessing didn't happen to us. And Jethro was not that way. He was happy that God was working in other people's lives. And he was encouraging uh, to Moses in that respect. Also, he did his best to help Moses. You know, Moses has been having great success. He's now the leader of a huge mass of people. And they're fairly wealthy right now because they've just left Egypt and they've plundered the Egyptians. They've taken all of the gold, silver, garments. And Jethro, as far as we can see, he doesn't try to take advantage of Moses and use Moses' power and authority and sort of riches to benefit himself. What he does instead is he tries to help Moses with what Moses has been entrusted to with God, by God. But this message isn't all about father-in-laws. We need to have a way that we can apply uh, this chapter to our lives right now. And so, first of all, like I said, I want to talk about mentors. So, let's look at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, first of all. And we're going to look at verse 7. So, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Let's skip down to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So here he's talking about the elders in the church. And he's saying that we should imitate their faith and we should obey them. Also, when you're thinking about mentors, it's important to note that gender matters. If we look at uh, Titus, Titus chapter 2, and we look at verse 3, Titus 2, 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So here he tells the older women to teach the younger women. And I think in the same way, the older men would teach the younger men. And 
So it's good to have someone who maybe is a little stronger in faith than you, who you can look up to. And it's good to remember that sometimes we are that person to others. Even if we're younger, and when I say younger and older, yes, I do mean by age, but what's really important is who's younger and older in Christ. Because there could be a 50-year-old man who's still a babe in Christ, and there could be a 25-year-old person who is actually a spiritual uh, giant. So let's look at 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy 4, 12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself as an example of those who believe. So we need to both be looking at ourselves as someone who needs mentors, someone who needs other people to look to. And we also need to be realizing that sometimes we are that to other people. And so our faith, and, and this is the scary thing sometimes, but our faith is actually maybe what's helping someone to hold on to their faith. Now, how to find mentors can be difficult. Um, and we're going to talk about, this, during this whole message, um, later on about people you shouldn't pick, and about how sometimes this has been abused um, by churches. But if you personally feel like you need someone who you can confide in, who's stronger spiritually than you, who can give you good Christian advice, you know... Obviously, the first place you would look would be your father. Um, and those of us that have been blessed with good, godly parents or grandparents, it's, it's just an amazing blessing. And it's so great to be able to share your faith with them and to have them be able to give you good advice. Obviously, not everyone is lucky enough to have that. And in that case, you're going to you know, maybe look... Maybe to your father-in-law, like we talk about in this chapter. Or maybe it's going to be, um, maybe that's not an option either. Maybe you need to look to the elders in the church as well. And obviously the elders are going to be um, responsible for your soul in, in every person's situation. But sometimes... You might have a closer relationship with one individual person. Or maybe if you're a woman, you're looking to your mother. So, just give it some thought. Now, the problem with mentorship, and the thing that we have to be careful of, is that it can, it can be abused. And it has been abused. Um, I'm sure many of you know of churches that have taken mentorship to the extreme, and they've caused the church to set up mentors for members, which isn't necessarily bad, but they've enforced that it has to be done, 
And they try to enforce that the mentor has control over the mentee's life and spiritual convictions. And that is, is not right. What we have to be careful of when we're thinking about, um, as a church setting up mentors, is people who want to bring others into bondage. And that's a strong word, but um, it's a biblical word. And we're going to look at a couple, uh, some verses here real quick about it. But I think there's an important distinction to make here. Mentors can be set up by a church. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, but I think we should be very, very careful about requiring you to have a mentor. I think the healthiest situation would be that you filled impetus yourself to foster a mentorship relationship with someone. And that you go and do that on your own. And because when the church sets it up, um, especially if they decide to make it mandatory, so to speak, it's harder to make a good relationship happen when, when it's mandatory. And also, these abuses that we're going to talk about are much more likely to happen. And we want to be very careful about adding to God's word. And if we're saying that you're sinning by not having a mentor, then I think that that's a pretty clear case of adding to God's word. And that may be almost as sinful as neglecting to obey some one of God's explicit commands. So, let's look at Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And we want to look at verse number 1. We're going to read a little bit of a section here, so just stick with me. Maybe look it up on your own. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barabbas, taking Titus along. This is uh, Paul speaking. It was because of a revelation that I went up and submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had been run or had run in vain. So here, Paul's a little bit worried about uh, what he's been teaching, because Paul's been going around teaching the Gentiles. And so he goes back to Jerusalem, and he's asking advice of people who are well regarded in the church there. So like we're talking about, he's asking advice, maybe not from people who are uh, spiritually stronger than him, because Paul's an apostle, but to other wise, um, informed people. So let's continue in verse 3. But not even Titus, who was with me, although he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Jesus Christ, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he effectively worked in Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. 
and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, that would be Peter, and John, were, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and to Barabbas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So there's a couple of things that I want to point out in this passage. So first of all, even Paul, Paul is an apostle. He wrote roughly half of the New Testament. Even Paul went and asked advice from other spiritually mature and wise people. And so I think it's a, something that we should keep in mind and try to do ourselves. But also, I want you to see, he's very careful about who he asked for advice and uh, how he asked for advice. Because he talks about those who want to bring them into bondage. Now, in particular, what he's talking about here are Judaizers. And they were people in the early church who thought that maybe Gentiles can be converted, but they still had to follow all of the rules and regulations of the old law. And much of what Paul does in the New, Te in the New Testament and a lot of the epistles is refute that doctrine. But what I want us to take away from it is that there are people who come into the church who want to try to control people. And if we're not careful about how we do the mentorship, how we set it up, and how personally we apply it in our lives, those people can take advantage of it. And they can drive people away from the faith by being controlled. So, the really important reason as to why we want to have sort of some mentors is because we don't want to do things alone. Now, I've been using the word mentor up to here. And I think it is good. Uh, I like that word because it conveys, you know, someone who's maybe more spiritually mature than you are. But it's not just that we need to have connections with people who are more spiritually mature than we are. We also need to have connections with those who maybe are on the same level spiritual as we are. And we already talked about how we have connections to those who maybe are weaker spiritually than we are. But we, we need to have connections to those who are spiritually equal and, and better. If, uh, that, if you'll permit that use of a word, as obviously as Paul says in the scripture, God shows no partiality. There's not someone who's better and someone who's worse. But there are those who are more mature and those who are less mature. And we should, even if we don't necessarily have a mentor, I don't know that that's a requirement, I just think maybe it's a wise idea. But we definitely need to have spiritually mature people around us. We could call them peers, maybe. And let's look at James. James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So, we could have a whole sermon on this, actually, but 
We as Christians do need, in certain circumstances, to confess our sins to one another. And to try to overcome sin, sometimes on our own, is too much. And we need the help and encouragement of our Christian brothers and sisters to help us with that. And I could say, I could say a lot about that. Like I said, that could be a whole other sermon. But we need to be careful that we don't have hidden sins in our lives. Um, that are continuing to go on and to fester under the surface, but we're not telling anyone about. Conversely, we also need to be understanding and graceful when people come to us and do confess sins that they are struggling with. We also, for those who are in teaching positions and leadership positions, we need to be very careful about doing things alone. We have several examples in the book of Acts. Um, Acts chapter 11, first of all. If we look at Acts chapter 11, verse 22, he says, The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So, um, I'll back up here real quick. These verses are uh, about right after the day of Pentecost. Um, the Christians have sort of been scattered from Jerusalem and they're preaching wherever they go. And in Antioch in particular, some of them went and preached to Gentiles. And so Antioch is the first Gentile, that would be non-Jewish, church. And so the church in Jerusalem hears about the church in Antioch and they want to you know, make sure that the church in Antioch is healthy. So they send Barnabas down to help. When he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy, Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he has found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for an entire year they met with the church there and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here we see Barnabas. He realized that he needed some help. And he went and he got Saul, who we now know as Paul, the Apostle Paul. And he brought him in to help with the work. And it looks like from the verses here, he kind of mentored um, Paul. Barnabas was one of the very first Christians. He was a close right-hand man to the apostles in the church of Jerusalem, which is why they sent him down. And Saul, at this point, is a very new Christian. He's had a little bit of trouble being accepted because he persecuted Christians originally. And so Barnabas, is, first of all, needs the help, and he's not going to do it by himself, but he also brings in Paul to teach Paul um, some things. And then if we go a little later on in Acts, and we look at chapter 15, uh, verse 39, there occurred a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. 
But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So here, Paul and Barnabas um, have been working together for a long time at this point in this chapter. And they get into a disagreement about um, the Barnabas' nephew, I believe, John Mark. And they... Barnabas wants to take Mark with them on the missionary journey. Paul does not want to take Mark with him because he went with them on their first journey and he deserted them in the middle of it. And so they split ways. But I want you to notice, Paul still, even though he's an apostle, he still takes Silas with him. He doesn't try to go be a missionary by himself. And I think... Um, between this and some other verses we're going to look at a little bit later, in leadership we need to be very, very careful about a sort of a one-man show. And lots and lots of churches have run into serious, serious problems, whether it be sex scandals or other kinds of problems, because they have one charismatic leader who can, maybe he can bring the people in, you know, maybe that's why he's in charge, but whether it's because he wants to, because he's a little bit controlling sometimes, those kind of people are, or it's because other people don't step up and help, sometimes those people try to do it all by themselves. And almost without fail, they end up in some kind of trouble in the church. If their leader of a church splits, their leader of a parachurch organization, the organization falls apart. And that's why in the biblical model for a church, they have elders, they have deacons, and we have evangelists. And they all need to work together to have a healthy, functioning church. We also need to have other people to help us and spiritual peers in just our everyday life, not necessarily even in our spiritual life. If we look at Proverbs uh, chapter 27, Proverbs 27, 17, Proverbs 27, 17, he says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And if we think about the verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, actually let's turn there, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, verses 11 through 12. He says, Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And if you do try to go it alone, whether you're in leadership or not, you're probably going to have problems. If we think... Even some of the greatest characters in the Bible, when they tried to do things on their own, and even maybe they weren't necessarily rejecting God's help, maybe they were still trying to rely on God, but they didn't have anyone to help them who was a, a man, I guess you could say. There are a couple exceptions, but they ran into trouble. We think about Elijah. Elijah, he went right after he called fire down from heaven. He killed all the prophets, false prophets in Israel. The prophet Elijah, he gets very discouraged 
because he feels like he's all alone. And he runs off into the wilderness, and God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Basically insinuating, you're not supposed to be here. And Elijah says, I'm the only prophet left, God, just, just kill me, I'm, I'm done. Because he's discouraged. And of course, God tells him, no, Elijah, stop having a pity party. You're not the only prophet left. There's 7,000 in Israel who still haven't worshipped false gods. And he sends him to go find Elisha and to get a companion to be with him. And like we talked about in this chapter, Moses, Jethro says, you're, you're wearing yourself out. There's no way you can keep this up, doing this by yourself. You need to have people who can help you, who you can trust. There's a few exceptions. Um, we don't read about like the prophet Jeremiah necessarily um, having any companions, but he got very discouraged sometimes because he was on his own. And it was only because of God's divine help that he was able to press through. And if we are not absolutely forced to be in a situation where we're spiritually isolated from others, we should try very, very hard to avoid that. And we should be careful about um, trusting our own judgment exclusively. Um, if we look at Proverbs chapter 18, I really like this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes to examine him. So, Sometimes we can get set in our opinions and dogma. And if we don't ever talk to anyone else, and we don't get advice, and we aren't willing to listen to advice, we're going to have a wrong opinion that to us seems like it's right. But in reality, if someone was to come along and show us the holes in our own reasoning, we would find out that it is wrong. We also don't want to forsake the assembly, and that is, I think, the most important. And that is something that we can definitively say, as if we look at Hebrews chapter 10, is a sin. Um, we are to be in church, and we are to be with Christian people, if it is within our power on Sundays. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. He says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see, the day drawing near. We are not to forsake the assembly. We are to be in church when the doors are open on Sunday mornings, because otherwise, spiritually, there isn't really any way that we can survive. There was a story I heard as an illustration one time. It was about a man who lived up on a mountain. Um, and in the wintertime, it was difficult to get to church because it snowed. And, so, and he lived alone on the, in a, a cabin. And so there was a couple Sundays he, he skipped. 
So the preacher came to see him, because he invited the preacher in. And uh, they, they didn't say a whole lot. But the preacher sat down at the fireplace with him, and they were drinking some tea. And the preacher reached and took the tongs from the uh, hearth and grabbed a coal out of the fireplace and put it on the mantle for a minute while they drank their tea. And as he prepared to leave, he took, he picked up the coal, and then neither one said very much, and took it in his bare hand and put it in his pocket. And the next Sunday, the man was in church. And the point is that just like that coal becomes cold if it's not in the fire with other Christians. So the fire of the Holy Spirit we have within us, if it doesn't get refilled and it isn't around other Christian people, then it's going to grow cold. We need that encouragement from others. Now, We have to be very careful that who we choose, though, to be our spiritual mentors, our spiritual peers, and our church. If we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33... First Corinthians 15, 33... He says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, that he who thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. And this is as much a message to myself as anyone else. But don't think that you can have cultivate extremely close relationships with people who are not Christians and not have a relationship with people who are Christians and think that you're going to be spiritually healthy. That's an impossibility. You know, it's okay to befriend those who are outside of the church, um, but if you do so, then you need to be very, very careful that they're not influencing us and we're influencing them to Christ. And if we think that we're such a strong Christian that we can hang around whoever we want and we'll be fine, we should really, really um, take a look at our heart and our motives and make sure that we're not in a sin of pride and obliviousness. It's also really important what partners you choose. And that could be um, business partners, and that could be um, the closest partner that you have, your spouse. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? 
Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Be very careful if you are in a business relationship with someone who's not a Christian. Or someone who is maybe a Christian, but not a very strong Christian. Because you're going to want to use that business to glorify God, if you're a true Christian. And they may not share those particular convictions. And they may not understand when you want um, to do something that seems to them to be counterintuitive. And of course, the closest relationship that we have is marriage. And this is another topic that we could have a whole message on, and like I said at the beginning of the message, I'm not going to touch on it a whole lot, but I think it's fairly safe to say that from the scriptures, you should do your very best to marry someone who is strong Christian. Someone is going to help you become closer in your relationship with God. And I've often heard it said that your goal in a, a marriage relationship should be that each of you is trying to get closer to God, and by doing so you will become closer to each other. It's also important what church we choose to be in assembly with. If you look at 2 Peter, 2 Peter verse 1, or chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly induce, introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So we better be careful what church we choose to be a part of. Because otherwise... Um, the people who are supposed to be encouraging us in our faith are actually going to be detrimental to our faith, and we may become lost. And finally, I've talked a lot about being very careful who our friends are, um, who we put into... Also, I didn't mention it as much in this sermon, but we need to be careful who we put into leadership positions. Um, Jethro gave Moses some qualifications for the men that he should look for and put into judges. They should not want... Uh, false gain. They should fear the Lord. In the same way, we need to be careful who we put into leadership. We need to be careful who we put um, into a mentorship relationship with ourselves. And we need to be careful who we're friends with. But we also need to be forgiven. Um, not none of us, as far as I know, are perfect all the time. And sometimes we mess up. We talked about Mark, John Mark earlier, and Barnabas and Paul's falling out in disagreement about whether he should be allowed to come with them. And, of course, as many of you know, the rest of the story is, later on in Timothy, Paul specifically asks Timothy to bring Mark with him. Because Mark is useful to Paul, and Paul really wants to see him and to have him help with the ministry. And so just like Paul 
was forgiving to Mark, and Mark was able to learn from his mistakes and become a better person, possibly because Paul was harsh on him. In the same way, when we're rebuked, we need to learn from it, or especially if it's someone who's maybe spiritually older than us and wiser, and if someone stumbles, we need to be able to forgive them and to still include them in our church family. So I just hope that you will think about that this week. Think about your friendships. Think about your all of your relationships. And are those relationships honoring to God? And most of all, be very careful of pride sneaking in and the attitude that I'll be okay spiritually. Be very careful that you surround yourself with good, wise people who will help you to become a better Christian and to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I thank you for listening. I hope you have a good week.